This is Nightmares of the Americas, Indigenous Tales. The show will start in three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to Nightmares of the Americas, Indigenous Tales. I'm Joseph. And I'm Gabriel. How you doing, Gabe? I am doing... I don't know how I'm doing. I don't either, man. <laughs> We've been having so many issues. We have a gremlin or some kind of curse. Yeah. Every week, it seems like something's going on with our audio or our equipment. I don't know what's going on. We got new XLR cables, and we're like, oh, man, these are like super awesome cables. They, mm-hmm. They're like designed for these microphones we have specifically, and they're a little expensive, but you could tell the quality. They're gold-plated. They're way better than the last um, XLR cables that we had. Yeah. We plugged everything in, and I was like, Gabe, I still can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, and I'm just like, mop, 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 mop. yeah, oh, we need to, we should have, we didn't do our ritual before we started. That's why. Yeah. It's know. okay. We'll get, we'll push through. But guess what? We're here and we sound amazing. Yes, we do. Okay. Man, I don't even know what to think. It's just <laughs> been so crazy. <laughs> so last night we had a really fun treat. We decided to get our deep pit ready mm-hmm. for the holiday season. Yep. So we got a bunch of wood, some um, almond, almond wood. Oh, it was almond wood? It was almond wood. Mm-hmm. Big old chunks, threw those suckers in the pit, put some diesel on it. And just blew, lit that sucker on fire. Yeah, you did that before I got there. I got there. It was already burning. Yeah. I, I had, missed the diesel part. You did miss the diesel part. I had a fan blowing on it and everything, getting all those coals nice and hot. And then we buried it, and it's still, it's actually still in the, still in the earth yeah. as we speak. We're going to have it for dinner tonight. Ooh, pull that turkey. It's just going to fall right off the bone. Mm-hmm. Mm, get that gravy going. Ooh. Some nice, nice treats. So we're going to spend some time with the family. It's going to be a really good time. Hopefully, Pops is going to be there mm-hmm. and spend some time with each other. Maybe Granny. We call tell Dad to bring Granny over. Yeah, that'll she be cool. Have some, she could gum some turkey. I don't know if I'm putting yeah. it in a blender for her. Well, the turkey <laughs> should be soft enough the way it's uh, marinating right now. Ooh, yeah. It's like so butter. It is. But so injected it with love <laughs> and everything that we have for the family. So it's been a good, It's so far it's been a good week until this time. Mm-hmm. And happy Veterans Day, late belated Veterans Day to all the veterans out there. I am a veteran, so I had a very good Veterans Day. Yeah, good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Got some deals. Got some, got a discount on turkeys. <laughs> got your grocery turkey store. Got the, got the coupons for the, for all that stuff. So it was pretty good. And we love you guys. And thank you for supporting us. And please, everyone, please support our veterans. So we still have stickers to give away. We're running, we're running low, but you know, we still have a few. Mm-hmm. So if you have not gotten in on the sticker giveaway, all you have to do is go to iTunes and or Spotify, leave a five star review and then leave some kind of review on iTunes. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. You can say, I'm freezing my tail off. You can say <laughs> the spirits, I believe in them. Mm hmm. My ancestors told me to write this. <laughs> if they did, don't lie. They'll get you. Yeah. They'll find out. And then they slap you in the face. So you can say whatever you want. We had a really cool one that said, um, it's like listening to two goofy uncles. Well, yeah, I like that one. I read yeah, that one. I like night. that one too. We're here for it. You better keep those aunties away. Don't mess with them. <laughs> anyway, all you have to do is subscribe, all that stuff. Take a screenshot of your review or the five-star rating. Email it to us at info at behillnetwork.com. 
and we will shoot you a sticker, but we need your address. Uh, and if you want another sticker, because we're going to get, we're, we're, we're marinating on some designs. There's going to be some pretty cool designs coming out soon. Hopefully within the month. Hopefully it's not past the new year, but it could be up until the new year. Yeah. We will have a few more sticker designs because we got a lot of feedback on stickers and we will send you a sticker out for the Instagram TikTok giveaway. How did they get on in on this, Gabe? I don't know. I just don't know anything anymore. His brain is fried right now, <laughs> no. guys. Hopefully he could get in the mood to record this episode. I got to shake off the old curse or whatever. I don't, no, we, we, we got to have gonna... to light that sage right there. Oh, yeah. Smudge. Um, we're going to have a special post posted on our instagram and tiktok for this uh specific sticker you were talking about the special sticker yes we're working on a design and what you have to do is like the post follow us on instagram mm-hmm. and or tiktok whatever one you're you're subscribing to then message us and say hey i like the post uh following you and here's my address and bada bing bada boom you got a free sticker yeah and then if you tag somebody you'll get two stickers a twofer yeah, you get two for one. Everyone loves a twofer. <laughs> and if you, hey, if if those people subscribe and start following and stuff like that, hey, sticker party, slap stickers on everything. <laughs> and I have some, I have some other ideas for a sticker pack that we might give away soon, or when we do get our stickers, and we're gonna do, we might do a special giveaway that includes a free, exclusive mm-hmm. T-shirt. Oh, that would be cool. That would be awesome. Exclusive t-shirt. Exclusive t-shirt to the winner of the sticker giveaway. Yeah, so look out for that. So look out for that. And you're gonna we're gonna you know what? I don't know if we should post it on Instagram, TikTok, or we should say it on here. Hmm. But I think it's gonna be on I think we're gonna have to do it on Instagram or TikTok so they can actually see the instructions and yeah. all that stuff. So please just follow us and give us a shout out and send our post to your friends and try to get your friends involved because we're trying to make this thing amazing for Mm -hmm. all of you yeah we are uh having some ideas for merch for shirts and stuff like that but in the meantime since we don't have that running we do have some friends that do all of this at indigenous underscore prince on instagram if you want to check them out and they are also at indigenous prince on tiktok yes and they you go to their store they have really cool stuff um, they, they had some issues, like we said, for the last few, few weeks, they, they've been going to powwows and they're, they were a little behind. So hopefully they catch up soon, but they have awesome shirts and it's definitely worth the wait. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and check those guys out because they are amazing and we're trying to support native run businesses. So please so help us help them. Yes. So we really hope that you enjoyed last week's episode with the creation stories. It was really fun to record and it's fun just to learn about other tribes and their traditions mm-hmm. and their creation stories. And it's also fun to learn how similar we all are because a lot of them sounded pretty much, they were, they were pretty close. Yeah. The two brothers, there's the twins, uh, the whole world was, there's the giant turtle. And then what did we have? The earth held up by snakes. Yeah, two snakes. Two snakes. And they're just slithering around. <laughs> so those are really cool stories. We hope you appreciated all those. And now, this week, we're going to do a trigger warning. We're doing a true crime episode of Savannah LaFontaine Greywin. Yeah. This is one of those cases where it's an MMIW. If you guys have seen the hashtag, it's Murder Missing Indigenous Women. And we're going to get into a few more of these true crime episodes because we we talked about it. We wanted to get into the stuff and bring awareness and hopefully help everyone out and bring this kind of to the forefront of people's minds because a lot of this doesn't get talked about in the media. Right. If you have any issues with murder, this is going to be a very graphic episode. Mm-hmm. 
um, please feel free to just like, download it, to give us a download, and then move on to the next episode or binge our previous 10 episodes. Yeah. Um, and for everyone else who wants to stay, you've been warned. But this is going to be a little rough at times. We're going to try to keep it a little lighthearted in places, parts that we can keep it lighthearted. But we're never going to make fun of the victim. We will make fun of the idiots who caused the crime and the police that bumbled everything. Because it just seems like, for some reason, these police officers either don't have the means or don't care. Or there's some kind of bias or something when it comes to women in general, minorities in general, mm-hmm. and especially indigenous women in general. I yeah. mean, we don't know why. So you've been warned. And for everyone else, we're getting into it. So here we go. So as some of you might or might not know, Native women in Canada go missing at a much higher rate than any other race. The Native population in Canada is 16%, according to the latest census, was in 2016. However, between 1940 and 2020, 45% of the total missing people reported in Canada were Native. To give you some perspective, about 80,000 people go missing every year in Canada. So that's just kind of something in Canada. We're going to talk about the U.S., but I know Canada has a large indigenous population, so we kind of want to throw their stats in there as well. Mm. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. 80,000 people go missing a year, and 45% of them are Native. That's almost half. And the Native population is only 16%. Yeah. So something, something's going on here. Let's take a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Yeah, those numbers are just ridiculously high. So do you have the stats for the U.S.? I do. Um, This is for the U.S. uh, The murder rate of indigenous women is three times higher than non-native women. And it is the third leading cause of death for indigenous women. Over 84% of them have experienced violence. And this just, this is just something that, you know, it's, it shouldn't be happening. And it's crazy that it is happening. Um, 94% of these women have been raped or coerced in their lifetime. 42% have attempted suicide at some point if they had been raped or coerced. 34% binge drink on a weekly or daily basis after they have been attacked and only eight percent of cases of rape victims first attack ended in a conviction according to some tribes red is the only color the spirits see by wearing red is everyone's hope that we can call back the missing spirits of our indigenous sisters and daughters and lay them to rest so this is a really good movement that's happening right now because it's not getting a lot of press coverage mm-hmm. you kind of see it a little in the news pop up here and there i think there's a tv show or something that just came out with the mmiw that's like the premise of the show it still doesn't have enough coverage as it should on august 26 2017 two kayakers on the red river in north dakota came across a body wrapped in plastic and duct tape hung up on a log around 5:45 p.m it was later determined to be 22 year old savannah lafontaine graywin a native woman who was reported missing on August 19th. A couple was arrested earlier that week on suspicion of conspiracy to commit kidnapping. They were also in possession of a newborn child that the police believed was Grey Wins. 
So we're going to get into a little background about Savannah LaFontaine Graywin. She was part of the Spirit Lake tribe. So I found this 78-page pamphlet from the North Dakota State's Superintendent of Public Instruction Works, and their goal is to transform education to North Dakota by fostering a culture of success. And it's this really cool uh, pamphlet. I'll post it on our Instagram so you guys could go through it and stuff. And it gives you a background of the Spirit Lake Nation. So it's titled The History and Culture of the Miniwakan Oyote Spirit Lake Nation. So it has a lot of good information in here, but they have like the treaties, goes over the treaties, the Dakota conflicts, creation of the Devil's, Devil's Lake Sioux Reservation, impact of federal policy and legislation. So let's get into the history of the Spirit Lake people. So the Dakota, which means friends, Oyote, which means the people, or Sioux, as they sometimes call them comprise members of the Spirit Lake Reservation, formerly Devil's Lake Sioux Reservation. The reservation lies within north-central North Dakota. The term Sioux is, co- is a corrupted version of an Ojibwe Algonquin term, meaning like unto the udders, like a venomous snake. And I think we had, uh, on our listener tale, mm-hmm. I think they were from that tribe. I believe so, yeah. And they said the same thing. It was a bastardized term where, you know, it's not very good to say. So mm-hmm. most, most of them don't want to be called that because... It's just, I mean, it's not what they're called. Kind of like how Navajos Diné. Yeah. So the term was later corrupted, resulting in the retention of the syllable that sounds like Sioux. So they took the name and because it sounded like Sioux, they're like, oh, they're just, they're the Sioux. That's what it is. (laughs) So the Dakotas at Fort Totten are called the Miniwakan Ayote, the people of the spirit water. So findings in the Granite Falls and Browns Valley archaeological site, that's a hard word to say, there was evidence that confirmed the aboriginal ancestors of the Dakotas lived in Minnesota from 8,000 to 10,000 years ago. So they've been living there for 10, roughly 10,000 years, 9,000, yeah, 10,000 years. So, time. And according to the Dakota oral history, the Dakota believed they were always in this area around Minnesota River and Miles Lack Lake. According to the Dakotas, the belief is that all living things originated from a great creator. The origin of the Dakota comes from the creator and is a mystery. A truth only the creator knows. If the creator should want his people to know this, he would have given them a sign. Of the seven original council fires of the Great Dakota Nation, the two that make up the people of the spirit water are the Sisseton and Wapaton bands. I hope I'm saying that right. If not, don't don't kill me. Wapaton. So when the Sisseton and Wapaton took possession of the land on present on the present day reservation, there was a group called the Cuthead Band of the Yucatan, Dakota living in the Graham's Islands area, as were many mixed kind of, they call them mixed bloods in this pamphlet. I don't really like that, but it's just, this is where, I think we talked about this too, the Matee. Mm, I don't know if we talked about them. Maybe off the show we did. I think maybe we did. It's like the French, it's like all around Canada. Mm -hmm. It's a different tribe split off. So they created their own people. I think we did talk about it in an earlier episode. And well, they became part of the Spirit Lake tribe as well. They just kind of grabbed all those people in a group and they all went together. Cool. So in the early part of the 1700s, the Dakotas occupied nearly the whole region of what is now Minnesota, except an extreme northern part that occupied by the Cree and the Ojibwe people. So that's going more towards Canada. Before this time, before the time of contact between white explorers in Dakota and the upper Mississippi Valley, the Teton Dakota moved onto the prairies and the Black Hills area. The Great Dakota Nation formed a political alliance 
known as the Seven Fireplaces or Council Fires or Ositi Sakawin. It was a confederation similar to the Iroquois Federation. We're talking about another confederation, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting because before we started looking into all these tribes and all the backgrounds of these tribes, I really was ignorant to the fact that all these bands worked together to create these confederations. Have you? Did you hear about any of that? No, before? it was all new information to me too. So that's pretty neat. The difference between the Iroquois Confederation and the Ositi Sakawin is that the Dakotas were culturally similar kinship groups, bands, or families which established social and po- uh, political rules to govern themselves. These people were similar in their language and culture in the woodlands environment. Later, they became more distinct as they moved and adapted to the environment of the plains. So that was just a quick little, you know, run through of the background of these people. It's really cool. You could do really do a deep dive into them, but mm-hmm. there's so many bands and there's just, it's confederacy like the Iroquois. So yeah, there's so many. It's, it would be, I would be doing them a disservice to jump into only one of these people. So I kind of just wanted to do a brush overview of the tribe that she was from. Yeah. Let me give a little backstory of Savannah. Um, Savannah LaFontaine Graywin. She was born on August 9th in 1995 in Belcourt. Her father is Joe Graywin. Uh, he's also from the Spirit Lake tribe. And her mother is Norberta LaFontaine Graywin. And she is a member of the Turtle Mountain Band. Her family moved to Fargo when she was very young, but ended up moving back to Spirit Lake Reservation, where she attended and graduated from Warwick Public School, which was on the reservation. She also attended Lake Region State College, where she earned a certificate as a certified nursing assistant, and she also enrolled into North Dakota State University. She loved horses. She was an equestrian which is a horse rider or or a performer on horseback. And, you know, everyone had nothing but good things to say about Savannah. They said she was very caring. She was, you know, she would light up a room wherever she was at. She wasn't hesitant to uh, do a favor for somebody. So she was just a great person, a great spirit. And it's just sad that she's no longer with us. And she loved her job. She did. She worked in a nursing home Mm -hmm. and uh, it was just, it was something she was there. She was just now starting her life. She had a boyfriend who they were planning on getting married once he was finishing up some jobs in another area, which we'll get into later in the case. And she was taking care of her brother. She was always helping him out and driving him places, driving him to his job and stuff. So, yeah, just an amazing person that was just lost, just taken from us because of these idiots that Mm -hmm. we'll get into. Uh, Like you said, she had a longtime boyfriend whose name is Ashton Matheny. I hope I'm saying that right. He was also a member of the Spirit Lake tribe. Uh, They knew each other from a very young age, and they went to middle school together. They had been dating for about seven years, and it seemed that they were just having a great relationship with little to no problems. In 2016, Savannah moved to Fargo for a job at the Eventide Fargo Senior Living Communities, where she would put her certification to use as a nursing assistant. During this time, she found out that she was pregnant and was going to be a new mother to a baby girl and was to be expected in late September of 2017. Her boyfriend was living and working in Minneapolis during this time, but shortly after that, her parents and younger brother and sister also moved to the city. Everything seemed to be going great. She just finished school. She was working at this new job that she loved. Um, You know, she's going to be a mom. It just seemed like everything was going according to plan. 
She lived in a basement apartment that her and her family shared. There was a couple that occupied the top floor of their apartment whose names are Brooke Cruz, who was 38 years old, and William Hohen, who's 32 years old. They moved into the building in 2016 and were well known for their explosive fights and loud noises. Not long after they moved into the building, Hohen admitted to assaulting Cruz by throwing her into the bathtub, and the court ordered that he have no further contact with her, but it's no surprise that six months later, he was found in the apartment violating the no-contact order. These two have had several run-ins with the law over the years and also had many sexual partners, to say the least. Cruz is known to have at least seven kids, and Hohen has at least two. Neither have contact with any of their children, and Cruz has been sued repeatedly for not paying child support. In January of 2017, Cruz told Hohen she was pregnant after he had threatened to leave her. He later found out that she was lying and that she only said this in order for him to stay. This made him mad, and he was quoted saying, Produce a baby or I will leave you. And I heard that also he was telling everybody at work that he was going to be a dad. Oh, so, so on his job D. site, he was like, you know, you know I got to keep this job. He's one of these idiots mm-hmm. who starts a new job. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he quits. And then he would take another job. Oh. And then he would, he would, oh, this job, I'm too good for this job. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. So he had a job that was a decent job. And he was telling everyone on the work crew, you know, oh, I've got to stick with this one because yeah. I'm going to be a new dad. My, you know, wife's pregnant and girlfriend's pregnant, whatever they are. And, you know, I got to, got to deal with this. So I'm going to Hollywood to be an actor. Yeah. He was, he's a piece of garbage. <laughs> well, they both are pieces of garbage. Yeah. So that could have set him off as well. And this is, that was, that was said by Cruz. Right. Yeah. That's, that's from her. And uh, we, we can't really believe a lot of things she says, mm-hmm. as you can see in this case, um, coming up when we talk about the graphic details, Cruz said this mm-hmm. like, well, I took it as I needed to produce a child because if not, then he's going to leave me. And I don't, I don't know if that's actually what happened because we weren't there obviously, right? but it could have just been something like something just like, clicked, you in know, head. they've already been fighting. They've already have issues. Mm-hmm. Well, you better give me a damn baby. Cause you, you told me you're going to have a baby. So you better give me a baby. Yeah. So something to remember is that Savannah and her family didn't know these people. They seen them around the building every now and again, or seen them in passing, but they didn't have a relationship with them. And all they really knew was that they fight a lot. Now I'm going to get into the day of the incident. The day was August 19th, 2017. It was a Saturday. Savannah was about eight months pregnant at this time, and she didn't really have much to do that day except take her little brother to work. It was just a normal day. One thing people said about Savannah was she was a very social and generous person. She would rarely pass up the opportunity to help others. So on this warm Dakota day, Brooke Cruz asked Savannah if she would model a dress for her that she had made and was even willing to pay Savannah $20. Naturally, she agreed, not thinking much of it, and again, she loved helping people. At about 1.24 in the afternoon, she had texted her mom and boyfriend about her helping Cruz. She ordered a pizza for lunch for her family to share, but by the time it would arrive, she was already helping her neighbor out with the dress. Yeah, I don't think she thought that she was going to be there all mm-hmm. day, especially when you're, you know, you get a phone call or, or she sees her. Hey, can you help me out? Yeah, okay, but I just ordered a pizza, so yeah, it might take like fifteen minutes, maybe. Yeah, just try you're it. You're just on trying and, on a dress, and then yeah. you're going to go down there. Maybe you got, maybe you got pizza money now. Mm-hmm. So Ashton, her boyfriend, and Norberta, which was her mother, responded to her text, but didn't get a response back. It wasn't like her to just stop replying, and especially throughout the day. 
They noticed that the pizza was untouched and Savannah's purse was in the kitchen and her car was parked in its usual spot. She was supposed to take her brother to work that day, but her mother took him instead. Now jumping forward to 4 p.m., still no response and the family is starting to get worried. Norberta went upstairs to the crew's door, knocked, and was asking about Savannah. But Cruz told her she had left earlier that day around 2.45. Right away, Norberta was suspicious. Savannah wouldn't just leave and not say anything, especially since she was eight months pregnant with swollen feet. She wouldn't leave her purse behind or her car. She didn't trust the neighbors. And also Cruz had went to their apartment a few days before and asked if Savannah wanted to smoke weed with her. And she denied it. Now it's 4.30 and Alberta can't take it anymore. She calls the police and reports her daughter as missing. Fargo PD showed up at 5 p.m., went to the last whereabouts of Savannah, and they searched Cruz's apartment without a search warrant. Now, they did this because they asked the they asked Cruz and Hohen if they can search. With a search warrant, they mm-hmm. can look anywhere they want. But if they don't have a search warrant, it's wherever they let them search. So they could say, like, you could look here, but don't look in that back room. Yeah, like, oh, well, my husband's sleeping in the bedroom. Or, oh. you know, we got a dog in there or something. Or it's not, mm-hmm. I don't want you to go in that room. And they can't do anything because they don't have a search warrant. Yeah, that's very, I mean, that's like, a, I guess, a loophole you can work around. So they searched the apartment once on August 19th and again on the 20th. These were both consent searches. So, yeah, like you said, they were giving them permission to come into their apartment and look around. Both times they found nothing. Norberta told a reporter that it seemed as though the police just didn't care. They didn't take this seriously and were careless. She said they were very rude and she even called the station multiple times and got nothing but no help. And you see this a lot in uh, native cases mm-hmm. where the police officers, it's just minorities in general, it seems like in certain areas, but uh, natives, for some reason, they it, it's like they don't care or, mm-hmm. you know what, these people are always moving or I know how they, they are on the res, so you know we're going to treat them that way or right. whatever their bias might be. But this is a this is a woman who's eight months pregnant with swollen feet. You really think she's out just tootling around and doing her own thing without her purse or a car or anything? No, this is ridiculous. Yeah, you would think they would take it more serious instead of doing the whole like, oh, let's wait, you know, the, the normal whatever, 24, 48 hours. Or yeah. whatever. I mean, it's I a pregnant woman that's missing. It's crazy. So far, these two neighbors are the only suspects in Savannah's disappearance. There isn't any other person of interest. But the police were not getting any information from them or anything that they could use at this point to where Savannah was. On August 24th, five days after Savannah had been missing, police finally got a search warrant for the neighbor's apartment and searched it for a third time. Yeah. um, Just sorry to jump in. But Mm -hmm. they also kind of had an idea thinking it could have been the boyfriend. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they kind of like stuck on that track saying, oh, well, I think, well, maybe it's a boyfriend and he came back and maybe he didn't want to be a, a dad. And so they were kind of running around thinking, well, these people let us in hmm. and there wasn't we didn't see anything. So now so I think that that's why the mom got a little upset because everyone's like he's like he, there's no way he could have done it. Right. He's all the way. What was he like two hours away or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he wasn't. And he was texting her. Mm-hmm. Well, all this was happening. Yeah, that that the math doesn't add up. So it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And her her mother was saying that if a woman who is pregnant disappears, leaves behind her car, her purse, stops using her cell phone, what took the police so long to get 
a search warrant. She was questioning why did it take them five days to do a proper search? Because they were having a bratwurst party. <laughs> Probably. That's what it was. This big old fat cop. Hey, come on, guys. Hey, uh, <laughs> she'll be back. I know she'll be back. I'm, I'm, we're having brats at the, at the station, so you got to... Guys, come on. Just leave this lady alone. We're going to go get some brats. Yeah, they were over there slapping each other's butts. Yeah, bunch of idiots. Mm-hmm. Another thing that bugged her mother about this case was that the story was in a paper two days after Savannah went missing, and it was only 12 sentences long on the third page. Yeah, no media attention at all. No yeah. coverage at all for a pregnant woman. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. This is 2017. This, is, this isn't that long ago. Yeah, you would. And I mean, I couldn't find anything of them talking about it, but I can imagine, you know, probably being frustrated, maybe not even seeing it on social media. Like right now, if anything happens, you see it the next day or anything like blowing up on TikTok or Twitter. If it blows up, it always happens like that. And mm-hmm. I mean, all these people should be covered regardless of skin color or anything. They should all be covered by the media as much as they do other individuals. Yeah. And it's just, it's really bothersome. Yeah. So the police finally started to do something that was seeming to do to be like part of their job. They, they interviewed some people that worked with Hohen and they said that he had talked about having a baby at home. That information is what got them the green light to get the search warrant. But even though they had this information, they didn't act right away. They said this was because they didn't know if Savannah and her baby were in the apartment and they didn't want to risk anything happening to them. So they they probably were thinking like it was a hostage situation and they didn't want to just burst in there and escalate the situation, I guess. That's what they're saying. Family, friends, uh, Savannah's employer, neighbors, they all formed a search party and they even had two canine searches. Everyone was looking for her. The fire department searched the river and the police unsuccessfully tried to ping her cell phone to determine its location. The community felt that the police weren't doing enough in order to try to find Savannah or at least find out what happened to her. Fargo police chief David Taub had this to say about that. And I quote, this is our number one priority. All of our resources have been focused on this since the beginning, end quote. But the funny thing about that is when he said that, he was on vacation. So all your police force was not involved in it. <laughs> right. That the police chief is like, oh, it's our top priority. But he's over there on the beach somewhere sipping margaritas. So that kind of shows where their priorities were at. Now, on August 24th, police searched apartment number five where Cruz and Hohen lived, and they found a newborn baby which had belonged to Savannah. Cruz was arrested, and Hohen was later arrested at his job. The baby was taken to the hospital where they would do a DNA test to determine who the baby belonged to. She was, in fact, the daughter of Savannah and Ashton, and full custody went to him. Her name is Hazley Joe. And it was after, I think it was a couple of weeks. I think he had to wait 14 days to get yeah. the DNA results back. So this is, I mean, think about this man. Traumatized, his his girl's gone. Mm-hmm. She's They can't find her. Right. And now you find a baby. So worst case scenario, you're thinking worst case scenario. Oh, she's dead. She mm-hmm. has to be. And now this child that that you didn't get to see. Right. And is, yeah, and just there. And now you have to just wait. Mm-hmm. And he had, he, he, he was allowed to have visitations with the child because it was pretty obvious. Just legally, it wasn't, they mm-hmm. can't just hand you a baby, right? Right. Yeah, anything can happen. Savannah's body was found on the night of August 26th. She was wrapped in plastic and lodged against a tree in the Red River. It was not the police who made this discovery, but some kayakers who were just having fun on a weekend trip. They had seen a body-sized object in the water, and realizing what it was, they then contacted the police, and this led to the neighbor's charges. 
So she was found in the Red River. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go over a little little information about the Red River. So this river is 550 miles long, and it runs between Minnesota and North Dakota, and it creates like a natural border before heading to Canada, where it falls approximately 230 feet on its way down to uh, Lake Winnipeg. Hmm. So a number of cities have popped up around the Red River and throughout the years that include Winnipeg, Fargo, Moorhead, Grand Folks, or in East Grand Folks. In the U.S., it is sometimes referred to as the Red River or the North Red River to distinguish it from the Red River locations in the southern states. In the past, the Red River was a key trade route and used by fur traders over the years. So this is a pretty big dang river. Mm-hmm. little dark history of the Red River. In 1978, the body of William Wolfe Jr., 22 years old, was found north of Kangness, Minnesota. He was cut in half and placed in garbage bags, and the case was never solved. Wow. And in 2014, Tina Fontaine, 15 years old, her body was found in the Red River in Winnipeg. The case of Tina Fontaine helped prompt the Canadian government to commit to creating an independent national inquiry into the issues of murder and violence against indigenous women, which started in 2017. Wow. In that case, uh, there was no arrest. No, no one ever found. Who did it? And this is a trip. The same day that Tina's body was found, this another Native man, Farron Halls, he was found 49 years old. His body was found hours after Tina's body was recovered. And the police, they didn't suspect foul play. They said, no, it was probably drunk and just fell into the into the river and drowned. And this man, he's a, I know he was a veteran and he did have drinking issues. And I think a few years, so this was 2014. So I think it was 2010 or 11. They called him like the, the hero of Winnipeg or something like that. There was Mm -hmm. an article written about him. I guess somebody fell, someone fell into the river and something was happening, jumped in, swam after him, saved him and brought him back. And he didn't really want any, attaboys or anything like that he just kind of well you're just doing you know you see someone that falls into it you you help him out yeah he just naturally was a hero however he was an alcoholic so the police kind of just threw that kicked that to the curb and said oh it's fine we're not gonna worry about this guy which seems to be the case in a lot of these and lastly felicia salmon osborne 16 uh, was found in 2003 her mother tried to file the missing person report but was told she had to wait 24 hours to file it so days later, she kept calling and calling and calling, trying to say, okay, it's 24 hours. And they're like, well, it's from uh, the initial, they kept giving her the runaround. Mm-hmm. So she called to file again, and the case was never solved because it has already been too late. It's just so, so strange. Like, what is going on at this river, for one? And then two, why are the police so quick to dismiss these people? What I think, I think it's jurisdiction. Because if these bodies mm-hmm. is between the uh, Minnesota... And was in uh, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. So if the river is going through there and going to Canada, maybe they're just trying. Maybe they're just lazy. So don't they know. don't want to step on each other's toes. Or maybe they're trying to pass the butt. We're saying, oh well, these guys can't take care of it. Or yeah, it nah, maybe that that's too. they're not from our area. Or if they are, it's like ah, oh, another one in the river. Yeah. And these are all. Uh, there's a lot of natives around these areas. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little. And these this river is huge. So yeah, anything yeah. could happen. That's just so crazy. I mean, this guy was cut in half and his body was placed in garbage bags and thrown in there. You would think if you're a police officer, you'd be like, this is, this is the case that's going to get me like in the paper or that's going to get me like, you'd motivate them to kind of show off. If it was a movie, I would agree. Yeah. But in real life, people (laughs) don't want to do their job. 
I guess, yeah. It's too much work. Oh, man, I found a body. Now paperwork. Now paperwork again. And I mean, I imagine how much paperwork for a ticket. And, oh, man. So that's where her body was found in the Red River. I just thought I wanted to bring attention to that river because mm-hmm. there's so many things that happen. We'll, we'll cover Tina Fontaine's case in a later episode. That's a pretty good one, too, because of what it what it sparked in Canada in 2017. Okay. Because that national inquiry, it's fine, but it's still not enough. For, for any of this stuff. Yeah. So Brooke Cruz, she pled guilty on December 11th in 2017. So she gave her own account on what happened that night. Well, let's go into a little background about Brooke Cruz. They checked her computer and they checked all this stuff about, um, you know, when they were doing the search warrant mm-hmm. and she had a secret journal, which she showed her fixation with children in which she had, like all these different, she searched all these things about how to um, give childbirth at home with no medication. Hmm. How to, what medications do I need? They found Pitocin in her apartment as well. What is that? Pitocin is an inducing, it's a medication that they use to induce um, contractions. Oh. So when you see here a woman say, oh, they're, I'm going to be induced today. Oh, okay, go have okay. a baby. Yeah. Then it's usually they give you Pitocin. And mm. that helps with contractions and starts the, the process. So she had this in her apartment. She also had how much blood she searched, how much blood loss can a person have and the child still be alive or have mm. a pregnant woman and the child still be alive. These are, these are nails in your coffin. Right yeah. Here. That's very much premeditated. It's very premeditated. So she had all these things almost a year before she murdered Savannah. She crossed paths with a young mother, and the young mother gives her account in this paper that I found. I saw Cruz arrested on television in August last year. My hair stood up. I knew right away it was her. So this woman is Roxanne Cartwright. So Roxanne states she had stopped at a Fargo restaurant for a meal in September of 2016 with her husband and her four sons and daughter. The couple were driving back from Arkansas after finalizing the adoption of their baby daughter. A woman who she believes was Cruz and who was seated at another table with a man, approached the family, and stared at the little girl. So she's just standing there like a psycho, Hmm. staring at the little girl. And she looked at the girl and said, she's exactly what I want. Kind of whispering. Miss Cartwright says her son, one of her sons, told the woman, that's my sister Sophia. To which Cruz replied, allegedly, Sophia, that's the name? That's exactly what I want. Her eyes were huge, Ms. Cartwright said of the woman she believes to be Cruz. She was fixated on my daughter. Ms. Cartwright was so unsettled, then she, she stood up from the table, grabbed her daughter, and her daughter, who was help, being held by another relative. Then she took the baby and pretended to breastfeed her as Cruz continued to stare, and customers in the restaurant, restaurant also noticed this, and then they had just end up getting up and leaving. I'm karate chopping anyone who stares at my kid. Staring at your kids and <laughs> she's exactly what I want. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a- what I want. So she was fixated on children. And like you said, she had seven children already. Mm-hmm. She lost custody of everyone because so she it was a horrible, awful person. Yeah, so, but it wasn't like a, um, it was more of just she desperately wanted to be a mother, I guess. It was just like she wanted a baby so bad. Like, I want to be a mom. I want to be a mom. She was a mom. But I guess like the baby thing, like she wanted them to be a baby. And then once they grew up, she's like, ah, I want another baby now. I don't know. I don't know what her crazy, stupid mind was. So that was a that was something that was an encounter that this woman said as soon as she saw her on mm-hmm. TV arrested. She goes, "That's her." Wow. That's and I, I'm sure that that was her because if that happens, mm-hmm. 
it has to be burned into your mind. Like if we ever see this weird, cra- and we'll post pictures of her too. She got bug eyes. She's mm-hmm. she's noticeable. You yeah. can, you can know who this woman is. Uh, Cruz's attorney said, "From where I stand, she accepted full responsibility today. This goes a long way in terms of us being able to argue for something less than life without parole." The attorney Gloria Alfred, who represented the Graywin family, said after sentencing, "We would never with this suff- wish this suffering on anybody, on anybody's family, on anybody's sister or daughter or mother. But the only good that will come out of this is more attention and change on the issue for other Native American women in the future." So this disgusting attorney, mm-hmm. Cruz's attorney, was trying to argue something less than life without parole. Yeah, you don't get to just. All right, I admit it, and then you're off. Like you, you took a life. Yeah, you don't get to do that because she admitted to she admitted to the guilt. Yeah. So now we go into now this is Cruz's account of what she said happened, and then what the investigators kind of dug up and said, no, some of that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So we'll go into that right now. According to Cruz, this is what she said happened the night she invited Savannah into her apartment. Shortly after inviting her into apartment number five. They started to argue, and she pushed Savannah, and she hit her head on the sink, making her unconscious. And she made up the argument story, saying that Savannah kicked her cat or Mm -hmm. stole her cat or something like that. It's just made-up, stupid, nonsense story, and it's so she could justify her actions. Cruz then went into the kitchen, grabbed a knife, and used it to cut the baby out of Savannah's womb. During all of this, Savannah was drifting in and out of consciousness from loss of blood. While Cruz was cleaning up the blood... Hohen returned home to find Cruz holding a newborn baby girl, and she said to him, This is our baby. This is our family. Hohen then asked if Savannah was alive. Cruz responded with, I don't know. Please help me. Hohen then grabbed a rope and tightened it around Savannah's neck until she stopped breathing. He then said, If she wasn't dead before, she is now. Then they both stashed Savannah's body in the closet and finished cleaning the blood, trying to make it look like nothing happened. Hohen testified that two times when the police searched their apartment, he was just laying in bed and had the baby under the blanket. And also, they said that they had hollowed out a dresser and put Savannah's body in it, where later they put that in their car to drive it to a bridge where they hauled it into the Red River. It is unclear if the dresser was ever found, but when Savannah's body was found, she wasn't in the dresser. So that's what Cruz says happened that night. Or that day. She testified that Hoed had fantasies of drugging and raping girls, but then he'd have to kill the girl because there couldn't be any witnesses. Who? Cruz said Hoed also had sexual preferences for choking Cruz with ropes. She also said that when Hoed was choking Savannah or strangling Savannah, mm-hmm. he was he was saying, you know, derogatory native sl- like slurs at her. Hmm. Like this was his fantasy. Now, if that's true, that's pretty freaking disgusting. Right. However, he was, he walked in on this, on what was going on. So this guy's also not a good person. Mm -hmm. We don't know if she was, she could have still been alive. She could have been bleeding out. I mean, the coroner said that it was, it was kind of undetermined and they couldn't really figure it out, but it's, it's blood loss. It didn't look like it was strangulation that killed her. So she could have just made all of that up and then threw in the other stuff just to, uh, kind of put him into the mix and be like, he helped me with it. Well, they were both arrested. So she was trying to, this is her testimony so she can get off at least sooner. Mm -hmm. Cruz testified that she convinced Hohen that she was pregnant in early 2017. Like Gabe said, she used old sonograms and old pregnancy tests from one of her other kids. And she played a heartbeat for him that she found online. Ew. 
So this is how disgusting this woman is. She wanted him to stay with her. Mm -hmm. So she did the whole pregnancy scare thing. And because she was doing all this stuff, she says she thought she was really pregnant. I don't know if I believe that. So she's saying she convinced herself that she was pregnant. And then when the time passed where she should have had the baby, that's when Hoenn said, I knew you were lying. You're not pregnant. Yeah. In her head, she could have taken, he told me to get the baby because he said, "If you better produce a baby or I'm out of here. They were normally arguing and fighting. That was their relationship. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to, she didn't want him to leave. Right. So she could have taken it whatever way she wanted. I don't know. I don't know who to believe. I just know that they did this and this is pretty heinous. So Hoenn also testified and said that he he did help clean up the the blood. But his story is when he was there, she was dead already. Oh. And she may have been. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Either way, I mean, he's still involved. Either way, if I walk in and one of my relatives, my wife, mm-hmm. let's say my wife, is cleaning up blood, she's going to jail. <laughs> Sorry, I, I know you're listening. You're going to jail. You, you can't just open do that. the door. You don't get to kill people and then, and then you shut it and leave. But this is what kind of awful people they are. Yeah. And Hoenn had a history of violence and he wasn't a very good father. Through his three year old child, what he said was that he picked him up and set him down, somehow fractured his skull, took him to the hospital. Oh, yeah, because that's what happens when you and, pick yeah, him up. You know, and I, have, him I have two little ones, and of course, I always fracture their skull. That's what happens, right? <laughs> no, when you pick them up and put them down, you, you don't just, you have to do it fairly hard. He probably shook the child and slammed him down on the ground. Yeah, he was probably drunk or on drugs or something. And So he had a he had a violent history. So during the sentencing, they have like the parents speak or the victim's family speak. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I thought was really heartbreaking was that her mother, Norberta, she said that. In their tribe, that the grandmother is supposed to be the first one to hold the child. Oh, wow. And that's something that's sacred. And it ended up being... And they took that from her. Yeah. So not only did they take did they take her daughter's life, they took that special moment that only happens once for this child. Mm-hmm. And they bless them and pray over them, and they took that from her. So they took that into account, and um, that brought some life from prison. So good. Good for her. Idiot. So then you got the trial of William Hohen. Hohen was charged with three offenses, conspiracy, conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and false information to law enforcement. So this is where it gets kind of tricky. They have to prove that it was a conspiracy to commit murder mm-hmm. and a conspiracy to commit kidnapping. Well, they had her information, but none of it really pointed to him. It kind of seemed like she was she was sketch, she was doing all that stuff by herself. Hmm. Approximately three months after Hohen's initial appearance on those charges, the state filed a notice to sentence Hohen as a dangerous special offender. So Hohen pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit kidnapping and false information to law enforcement and proceeded to trial on conspiracy to commit murder. The jury acquitted Hohen of conspiracy to commit murder. Okay. But he he did plead guilty to the other two charges. Mm -hmm. And because they filed a notice of intent to sentence someone as a dangerous special offender, things start getting moved around because a dangerous special offender title, mm-hmm. it carries more inform- it carries more um, sentencing time. Oh, okay. And they, they did that because he had a history of violence. He broke his fractured child's head through cruise through a, what is it, threw her through a wall or threw her on the bathtub or something. And mm-hmm. so he's, he's a violent person already. So they're like, look, we're going to put this title on him. And they, they agreed to that. So he still tried to appeal these commit conspiracy, kidnapping, and all that stuff, everything he had charged with. This lawyer statement. Hohen was in a relationship with Brooke Cruz. Cruz killed Savannah. 
by cutting open her abdomen and removing her preterm baby. Hoenn arrived at home. He shared with Cruz after Cruz had killed Greywin and taken the baby. He then helped clean up the evidence of the crime, including hiding Greywin's body in a closet, wrapped in garbage bags, wrapped her in garbage bags. Hoenn also helped Cruz hide the baby from Greywin's family and law enforcement. Hoenn carried the baby around in a book bag when he was in public. The district court found Hoenn had previously been convicted of a similar offense and sentenced him as a dangerous special offender to life in prison. On appeal, Hoenn argued the district court erred in its dangerous special offender finding in applying a life expectancy table not authorized by statute and failing to advise him of the maximum sentence prior to accepting his guilty plea. Hmm. And listing kidnapping rather than conspiracy to commit kidnapping on the amendment judgment. Though the North Dakota Supreme Court affirmed the conviction, it vacated the sentence and reprimanded um, the dangerous special offender statute. So this is just saying that he, because of this special offender thing, it, you could get life in prison with that. Oh, okay. So he's saying, look, I, I'll say, I'll tell you right now. I did. We kidnapped. I'll, I'll, I'll cop to that. And I, I just want a few years in jail and then I want to get out because I didn't kill her. Mm-hmm. And that's what his lawyer was arguing. So they did change it. So in 2019, Hoenn was moved from the North Dakota state pen in Bismarck to an undisclosed prison in another state for protection management purposes that are related to the nature of his crime. Um, so he was getting beat up in, in prison because they're saying, oh, you're, you're a woman killer and a baby stealer. Yeah. His lawyer would not uh, disclose his exact location and he wouldn't comment or anything like that. Sources with Valley New- News Live said when a crime is especially heinous, those offenders are given additional protection from other inmates, adding that it is unknown if there was any special threat made against Hoenn, but many law enforcement and correction officers believe Hoenn would have been killed in that prison. They threw the book at him too, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison plus 365 days to be served concurrently. And he was credited with 775 days for already being in prison that long. So he ain't getting out anytime soon. No, that was in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2019, so let's say, so he'll be, I mean, he'll be up there, but yeah. he deserves everything he gets. So both those idiots are going to be gone for a long time. Cruz is going to be gone life without parole. So she can go something herself because she's a piece of garbage. And the other idiot, Hoenn trying to be oh i did i didn't know what i was doing it yeah. just it all happened uh, so fast and no that guy's done 20 years get the hell out of here so some positive things that have come out of you know this woman's death tragic loss for the community mm-hmm. is the savannah act yeah regardless of who you I, i'm gonna we're talking about the president so i don't care who you who you like and don't like i'm just gonna read this because this is very important so if you like the guy don't like the guy i don't really care Uh, President Donald J. Trump was the first president to formally recognize the tragedy of missing and murdered Native Americans. When he issued a proclamation in May of 2019, drawing attention to the issue, he signed into law S-227, the Savannah Act, which directs the Department of Justice to develop law enforcement protocols to address the issue, and S-982, the Not Invisible Act of 2019, which directs the Department of the Interior and the Department of Justice to establish a joint commission on violent crime within and against the Native American community. These two bills reinforce many actions the president has already taken and undergone uh, to fulfill his promise that missing and murdered Native Americans are no longer forgotten. He also signed another law into action on November 26, 2017, 
where he's uh, he signed an executive order establishing the Operation Lady Justice Task Force on missing and murdered American Indians and Alaska Natives, which developed an aggressive government-wide strategy to combat the crisis of missing and murdered American Indians and Alaska Natives, specifically women and children. So since its launch in coordination with tribal communities, the Operation Lady Justice Task Force had opened six cold cases offices around the country, conducted 12 regional consultations, and hosted numerous listening sessions to ensure that the work of the task force is shaped by the voices and experiences of the Native American community. So this is a great thing. They're taking the Native community and they're saying, look, we, we want to help you, but you need to help us help you mm-hmm. and your voice needs to be heard. So they're letting them be the forefront, like saying, hey, look, these are what's plaguing our people and this is how you can help us. Right. That's amazing. So that's really good. The task force established teams to investigate cold cases and centralized website to provide resources and announcements for the public. It is currently working on develop to develop model protocols for handling missing and murdered cases. The task force is also now preparing to integrate the directives in Savannah Act and the Not Invisible Act into its current work streams. The Department of Justice is supplementing the task force efforts by providing critical funding to improve public safety and serve victims of crimes in American Indian and Alaska Native communities. And um, so I think this is in 2019. The DOJ announced $295 million in grants to tribal governments across the country. So that's really cool. That's one great thing that has come out of this. There was this Savannah law, and it's just... It's heartbreaking, but, you know, at least some good could come out of this. Yeah, and silver lining. So her mother is such a strong person, Noberta Graywin. It was reported by the Bismarck Tribune that Noberta Graywin and family traveled to Berthold Indian Reservation on the weekend of December 1st, 2017, to help look for missing woman Olivia Lone Bear. She was quoted saying, we just want to support the Lone Bear family. We've been there. We can't just sit by and let another family go through what we went through. We want to help in any way we can. So this is only a couple of months after Savannah. Yeah, she could have easily, you know, dug a hole, ignored everybody and just like, I lost my daughter. I don't want, I don't want to deal with the world, but she's out there helping other people. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing. And um, well, I think that wraps up the case of Savannah Graywin. This is our first true crime episode. Hopefully we did it justice. Yeah. We are learning still. Yeah. We're just trying to bring awareness to this movement. You know, we don't want this to happen to anybody. So it's just something that we want to get out there. And we'll have information about the MMIW. It's like the hashtag that's going around and everywhere. Just like trying to bring awareness and we'll have all that information in our show notes. And also if you want to buy some shirts from our friends at um, indigenous prints. They have some amazing t-shirts and they have MMIW t-shirts. So I know I bought one because I want to show my support to these women. Yeah. Cool. So uh, please let us know what you think about this episode, positive or negative. We can take, we can take, uh, I guess we could take it. (laughs) Yeah. You can shoot us an email at info at com. You can shoot us a DM on our Instagram at indigenous underscore tales. Just let us know how we did. And also, if you would like to hear more of these stories, I, I, I enjoy it. Hopefully we can go over some more true crime stuff. And mm-hmm. we're also going to talk about the residential schools pretty soon. Yeah. And I hope you still like our format. And please rate and review us. We need the rates and reviews. We got some pretty cool ones, too. Thank you so much for our reviews. Our reviews are going up and we appreciate all of them. Yes. We have a 4.9 rating right now. So please just help us keep those, keep it up, 
for some reason, it just it helps us go to the top. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure out what that means. Um, <laughs> to the tippity top. To the top. So <laughs> I think it's like when you search our name, we're getting a little mm-hmm. more popular. So it can pop up on more platforms like, hey, maybe you guys like these guys. Yeah, that'd be cool. So please just help us out. Please share with all your friends, families, cousins, sisters, brothers, aunties, uncles, all those people. <laughs> just let them, you know, say, hey, check these guys out. Your mailman or mail person. Your mailman. <laughs> That's like Spider-Man. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Joseph. And I'm Gabriel. You'll be remembered by the tracks you leave. And remain close to the great spirit. spiritually connected to the earth and understand the spiritual reality of